moving your career further faster. That's the mission behind Cascading Leadership. Each week, we're bringing you stories of women, immigrants, members of the global majority who have risen to the ranks of senior leadership in the world of business. Get ready to gather the insights of some of the world's best business leaders and apply those to your career. If you're interested in sales and marketing effectiveness, organizational effectiveness, talent strategy, DEI, or HR tech, tune in. We're going to share with you what they don't teach you in business school. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to Cascading Leadership, the show. I am your co-host, Lawrence Brown, otherwise known as LB. Unfortunately, Jim is not able to be with us tonight, but I think that we will still have a great time with Brian Bennett, who is the author of The Path to Elite Level Leadership. Thanks for inviting me. I'm Brian Bennett. I am the Chief Leadership Innovation Officer for the Elite Leadership Academy, a company I founded a few years ago. And I'm also an adjunct at Northwestern University. I teach analytics and marketing courses there. My leadership philosophy is based on the way athletes train. That's how it's called elite level leadership is because of the way athletes train, no matter how good they are, they continue working at their craft. The best ones continue working at their craft. And that's the way I perceive leadership should be. Leadership should be the same thing. So I'm in beautiful San Diego, California. Oh, okay. You didn't share that part. Very different climate than where I am. That's that's yes, awesome. I spent too many years in Chicago. It's interesting because today I was actually talking with one of our coaches at the university that I'm, and we were actually discussing this idea of comparing leadership to team sports. So I really mm-hmm. appreciate you saying that because it makes me feel like that I had some amount of knowledge around leadership today. One of the things that we always like to do with our guests is talk a little bit about your origin story as we talk about. So I'm not sure if Jim shared with you, but we are huge comic book fans. And so we always talk about the, the old nerdy origin story of a, yeah. of a hero or anti-hero because we like anti-heroes too. But so tell us a little bit about Brian's origin story. Yeah, I do write about origin stories too from leadership. And I talk about leaders too. So it's interesting if you bring that up. But in my origin story, I tell people I was a nerd before nerds were good before it was cool being a nerd. And I was in all the smart kids classes and stuff like that. So I didn't have a whole lot of friends and extracurricular activities. I was had to forge, forge on my own a lot more. And I think that kind of background helped me to find myself a little bit more and to be able to be, not to be afraid to step out in front when I had to be. So tell me a little bit about your, your family dynamic. And I know you mentioned not really having, participating in that many extracurricular activities and that sort of thing. But what were some of the things first with family and what kind of influence they had on you? And then when you say you didn't really do extracurricular, so what kinds of things did you do? I I did nerdy stuff like the (laughs) science club, the chess club, honor society, all that kind of fun stuff. Awesome. I've got three brothers. I'm I'm next to the youngest and both my good, both my parents who have gone on right now, but I had a great family environment. I can say I said the best parents in the world. And they were both very different. Like my mom was very education oriented. She would have been Sheldon today if she had gone to the same route because she graduated from high school after two double promotions. She was still valedictorian of the high school class. Wow. Wow. Yeah. She was a heavy hitter. And so my dad was more into the, what do you call it? The hand working with his hands more. Sure. But he worked hard and they kept us in private schools our lives until we got to college. And some of us even went to private schools in college too. But we had a work ethic. And I tell people, you never knew who was going to be at your table on Saturday morning for breakfast. Even though we didn't have a whole lot, they were always welcome to come to our house for breakfast on Saturday morning. 
So that was when my mom was doing that. So that was cool. Yeah. When you describe your dad, you, you're describing a strong work ethic and your mom as well, I think in different mm-hmm. ways. I think that it's always interesting to hear that there's, there's different elements to this, right? And so there's no one cookie cutter way. And I'm sure leadership is fairly similar in that way that there are different types. And I think we'll get into that a little bit. Tell me about the academic journey and then into those early years of your career. I went to Butler University, undergraduate in accounting. Worked for three years at Coopers and Library in Cincinnati. Then I came back to Chicago to go to Northwestern Graduate School at Kellogg. And my major concentrations in marketing, finance, management information systems, and management policy. So classic overachiever. Yeah, I'm thinking like two of those would have been great. I think you said I know, four or five. I couldn't help it. Then after that, I left there and went to work for Amico when I was uh, still before it was BP and worked there for a few years in, in their account in the financial analysis department. and. Between that and a couple other financial related jobs, I finally found my real footing in my career when I took a job in as a database marketing accounting executive. And that applied because the numbers are fun, but I always wanted to see action. I wanted to be part of the the, uh, the strategic planning and so forth. Database marketing, I got to use my quantitative side, analyzing the data and so forth. And I got to use the my strategic side, let's say, you know, and, and ask them talking to clients about the kind of strategy they should employ based on this data. And some of my work led to the introduction of Rogaine for Women. Before pharmacy, I went over the counter. We, my, my company did the analysis for it, the company I was working for. And we found that the 15% of people buying Rogaine were women. And we couldn't say whether it was for themselves or for a significant other, but it set off the alarms that, hey, women have a balding problem also. Then maybe 70, 80% of men have a balding problem. Whereas 30% of women have a bothering problem also. So they came out with the real game for men in the blue box and real game for men in the pink box. And that was part of my analysis. Nice. Just so a bit, a bit of a trailblazer there. Yes. So now how did you transition into where you are today from a, a leadership expert? It so happened, yeah, I've always been, people can always consider me a leader, no matter what positions I was working in. And I was one of those people called a natural born leader and stuff like that. I think that was my upbringing and watching both my parents, they had, they led in different ways. But with my an- analytics work, I had to do a lot of work with that and led some teams and so forth. And the thing that got me to, anal- to leadership almost full time now is we did an analytics project that we're doing healthcare during the early part of the century here, where in the we're changing over to health records. And so I was asking people at the conference I was speaking at, what's the biggest challenges they were having implementing healthcare analytics? And they would say, they gave us a survey, we like about 200 people that answered the survey. And we compiled the survey, we found that by a long shot, the biggest challenge was not leadership, was not the data, it wasn't technology, it was leadership. And I was in my first book, I put that in my analytics, my competing in healthcare analytics book. And I had a chapter in there about healthcare leaders. And Seeing that was such a challenge, I wrote my next book on healthcare leadership. And my third book now is now just on general leadership. So then as you thought about, you identified the gap, right? Which is oftentimes the way that we do find a name and a place for ourselves is identifying a gap. What was the what was the response to your finding and acknowledging this particular gap in leadership in that initial space? How how what was the response like? I have it was I got a lot of other response. A lot of good people wrote reviews for the book. Yeah, I was speaking at a lot of conferences, and it was a good journey. I, a lot of times I was speaking on leadership, not just analytics. But I'm focusing on the leadership part of it. And I tried to make leadership as something that seemed like one of the topics I did was how leadership is did the lessons from Hamilton on leadership and so forth. 
And the people really liked that. One thing I did find out in my analysis is that a lot of the people who I was talking to about leadership, they didn't want to, they didn't want to engage in some of the leadership stuff we were doing because some people don't want to be found out, so to speak. So, and so when you mean they don't want to be found out, say more about it. I think it's a, I think it's a, I think it's a big point. It's a big point, especially when you get into the upper levels of the suite, the executive suites. And something we found out more recently about that too is they don't want someone to say that they're not a good leader, basically. Even though they're in that position, they're in that positional leader, they don't want someone to say that they're not. Now, I interviewed a lot of leaders from the healthcare organizations, and a lot of the ones I talked to were really good leaders. I could tell, I can tell a good leader, I tell people by, not just by what they tell me, but by talking to people who work with them. People who work with them say that they're a great leader. If they follow, go through the wall for them, I say, yeah, that person's a good leader. If they just say, oh, yeah, he's okay or she's okay, I say, okay, I, I understand. I can read between the lines. It's more what you don't say than what you do say sometimes, right? That's right. That's right. You say more mm-hmm. about why you decided to draw out the correlations of teams and leadership and how that has helped you to help people to understand leadership probably more effectively. Yeah, I think you know, it's important to have an example, something that people can relate to to understand how this should work. And so when I started looking at the leadership process, so now what is the thing, what are the things, who re- represents this the most? And looked at elite athletes, because no matter, like I said, no matter how good they are, they know who, they know what they're good at. You don't see Steph Curry going to dunk the basketball every time. You don't see Tom Brady trying to run the ball up the middle. Okay. They know what they're good at and they focus on that and they try to get better at that, no matter how good they are. They can be a superstar. And people, one of the pictures I use in my presentations is Michael Jordan. And a picture of him is dunking the basketball. But that's the way most people think about Michael Jordan. But his career progressed. He knew he couldn't keep taking that physical punishment going to the basket. The rules were different back then. You couldn't touch anybody nowadays. But back then, you got knocked on your butt if you came to the basket too many times. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's good old-fashioned NBA basketball, right? That's right. That's the way it should be. <laughs> but they, uh, he realized he couldn't keep doing that. So he, started, he learned this wicked fadeaway jump shot from the side of the key, you know, which it was unstoppable. He learned how to take three-point shots and so forth. And so he had to evolve. As good he was, as he already was, he had to evolve. And the same with the same other players, other athletes. And it happens in other professions too. You think about musicians, you know, how they change instruments or whatever. People who sing, chefs, they're a great example. They don't, the dish they come up with, they end up with, it's not the one they started off with. Mm-hmm. They start off with something, the idea they want to do, and they work with it until they get it just right. So it happens in other professions. So as you talk about the athlete, where do like coaches and GMs and what are their roles from a leadership standpoint? And they're very important roles because not only does the athlete know what they're good at and they have to practice it, then they have to ex- execute on it during the you know, game or whatever, the match or performance. But then they have to have the reflection because after every practice, I talked to a lot of athletes about this, and after every practice, they think about what they did and how they, should, how they can improve on it. Then they meet with the coach and the coach tells them, I'll show up in the film or whatever. This is what you did. You should have done this or you could have done this differently, that kind of stuff. So coaching is very important. I call it that external voice, but you need the reflection also that internal voice. Because you have to understand how you did yourself too. Then talk to the coach and the coach either confirms or, or changes what he, your perception is. For the folks that are... Our show is about moving the careers of folks further, faster. And so when Jim had shared with me your profile, I was like, oh, great. Another person that we have leadership. And I don't know that we've had anyone that expressly talked about leadership as as an exercise form and function. We've had folks that have been on that have talked about what their leadership is. I had a conversation today with someone. Here's an example. 
that said, you've been an individual contributor for most of my career, but I've been struggling to find a role where someone will hire me as a manager because they say I don't have leadership experience. Talk a little bit about helping to understand if I'm a person fairly, let's say midpoint of my career, early midpoint of my career, does an effective model for developing your leadership. I can do a model and say how she can get some experience at the same time. Okay, so a model, my model for leadership, I call it the elite leadership process. And you start off with assessing. That's you have to know who you are as a person and know who you are as a leader. You do all kinds of personality assessments. We do our own assessments, all kinds of different things. And once you have created that, then you go to the next step, which is putting the other vision based off of that. Like for me, I know that my leadership philosophy, I'm a empathetic leader. I use empathy as one of my superpowers. I get to know people. I get to build relationships with them because then they'll have some feel to know that they trust me and they'll do whatever I need them to do. So that's that, that, that's the vision part of it, visioning. And the third step is the living. That's where you execute on that strategy, that leadership, that vision, leadership vision that you just talked about. You have to execute on that. There's several tools you can use. You can use communication, motivation, observation, storytelling, social leadership, all these different things. And so you maximize those. Then you come to the reflection and then the coaching part of it. And I tell people who don't have a lot of leadership experience, the best way to get it is go work at, go volunteer somewhere on the board or something or at their church or any kind of nonprofit organization, volunteer. Because if you right. can lead volunteers and you can lead any. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with that on that one. That is definitely because there's a different sense of what's in it for me when you're working with volunteers and being able to pull, being able to influence without having influence is really critical. You were saying that folks really are leaders in a multitude of capacity. So you don't have the title, of the ti- having the title of leader doesn't necessarily make you a leader and not having the title of leader doesn't necessarily not make you. A exactly. Exactly. Something that's interesting is that I look at this every day because it's in the news. I think leadership is in the news every single day, at least the way that I view when we're just everything. We can talk about the we can talk about the recession. We can talk about the war. We can talk about these mass shootings and leadership plays a role in every single one of these dynamics. What's, what do you think are some of the, the gaps, in your opinion, around leadership today and how can we help to close them? I think that the biggest gap in leadership and talking about in government, business, whatever, is people are not doing what's best for their constituents, They're doing what's best for themselves. And a leader has to look out for their followers and the environment. You know, not to, I'm not talking about the, the environment, I'm talking about the environment they're leading in. But they sure. have to focus, they have to understand who are the followers and what kind of influence the followers have on the, on their on the leadership model. And if they're not trying to focus on what's going to take care of the constituents, and that could be the board of directors, it could be your community, you're supporting all this kind of stuff. You have to focus on what's the most important, people who, are, who put you there in the first place or who you're supposed to be serving or the shareholders or whatever. Yeah. And instead of not just, this is for me, it's going to make me rich or whatever, like that's not right. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because so when I think of leadership, one of the things that I've seen, and I shared with you earlier that I was, I'm in a PhD program for leadership that I thought was a good idea when I started it, but I'm going to plug away and make it. Happen. But one of the, one of the theories that I was fascinated by was exactly what we talked about, which is pseudo transformational leadership, right? So it's folks with the transformational ability to move followers to to mm-hmm. next level of accountability to the next level of output or outcome and but they're doing it for the greater common good is the transformational leadership in the pseudo 
is a lot of what we see today. And I find that it's a little, it's not, quite frankly, it's a little scary because I wonder if we are able to identify the difference. And I think you did so well because you said clearly, if it's in the best interest of the organization, if it's in the best interest of the outcome and not the best interest of leader themselves. And I think that it feels like we've gotten, to, we're at a crossroads. It's perfectly fine to, to look out for self and not the constituents and people who put you where you are or where you've earned the ability to be a leader mm-hmm. actually doing what they're supposed to do. The other part of this too is that have you, and I don't, and I, this is something that's been fascinating to me as well, is the followership. Have you touched on any of those elements with followership in well, covering you know, leadership? We, you know, part of our assessing process, the step in our assessing is looking at these the leadership, situational influences. That's where you, it's usually a triangle. starts with the primary influences are the leader, followers, and the environment, okay? And those models, that boxes, I call them the little boxes, have to be in equilibrium, mm-hmm. have to be exerting the same kind of influence on the model for the leader to be an effective leader. If the followers get out of the line and the leader doesn't change, then that's going to be a problem. For instance, working in healthcare and trying to do electronic health records you have the doctors are very resistant to the change back in the day. They still don't like it, but they do it now because they have to. The leaders didn't really change. And I worked on some CEOs who said, you know what, well, the doctors, we got like 20% compliance now. So what? I'm saying that's not good enough, okay? You need 100% compliance and you need to do what you have to do to get that. So you have to understand the followers and the environment can change. And again, speaking healthcare, that change, they had a lot of rapid changes in the five-year span. And then they're yeah. cold. Yeah. So they have, they have leaders are struggle to that. You said that the way that I can tell a good leader is what the followers pretty much will say, like the employees will say, or the other mm-hmm. stakeholders. Do you incorporate any of the assessments one or 360 feedbacks as, as part of the leadership assessment for them to, or the leadership presentation for them to get a better understanding of what leadership is? It's funny because one of the things we have done in our leadership classes before is we have a peer assessment. They do their own personality and their own leadership assessments that we created and do a peer assessment where they have pick out words that describe them and the peers pick out words that describe them and try to match them up and find gaps. Now we've come up with an, a, another tool, taking our you know, leadership assessment and allowing that to you know, use the same quantitative measures and turn it around. So I'm saying in the assessment, I'd say, Brian does this as a great leader or whatever. Yeah, I do, I do, I do this as a great leader. Would you have your peers or your direct reports or your supervisor do the same survey? Does turn around and says, does Brian do this a good leader? And so then we have, we put up these radar charts and you see these big gaps throughout based on the nine dimensions that we measure. And it's really illuminating. That's, uh, that's good to hear because I think what draws out for me is that I'm that type of person or leader where I am, I constantly reevaluate myself. So I will do like, I I vacillate between being an INTJ or ENTJ, and it's because I'm largely an introverted person, but I know how to turn it on when necessary. Mm -hmm. I spent a good part of my career in sales, but when I need to recharge, which is to me how I define what we are most is I need absolute solitude in front of my computers with my camera in hand and really not being bothered by the world is how I recharge. And, but when I have that data helps me to identify, here are some opportunities. So I hear you on that. Like I see data points and I'm like, okay, what is it? What are the data points? What are they saying? What do we need to do differently? And so the other thing that I appreciate about it is that it's more objective, right? If that kind of makes sense, right? I feel like someone could give an opinion, but when you gather that data, and opinion becomes you talk to 20 or 30 people, right? And now you've quantified it. 
I'm going, hmm, that's a different conversation <laughs> because now you have information in front of you that says, hey, perhaps this is, a, this is different than what you think it is, right? And that's one of the challenges of having some of the other evaluations is if it's text-based, you know, you've got all this data to compile and try to figure out how to make, how to create something actionable out of it. Whereas if it's quantitative-based, you say, okay, I got, I have a six. I need to get a, I need to get a seven. What's the gap? My gap there. Yeah. So the, uh, the path to elite level leadership is, is the, is that a text that is more of a takeaway text? Like you can read and help to level up your leadership capability. It is because it's, it's a very, it's very practical. It's very similar to my healthcare book. Only I did, I wanted to make it broader to industry, other industries. Sure. And people have, have a few hours. And if you take it, and there's a workbook to go with it also. So if you take mm-hmm. the, you do the book, do the workbook. And when people have taken it, they've gone back to the workbook several times saying, oh, this is what I thought about. This is what yeah. I learned about this. And then they have something they can, we can go back to. I find that the, that's the workbooks are very helpful because to me, they're very similar also to journaling, which I think is very important from a coaching standpoint Mm -hmm. is that we are amazing rock stars, whatever we want to call it in our own minds, because we tend to focus on what we're doing well. We want to feel good about that. Right. And that's fine. But I think there's also this element where we also need to identify how you can go from good to great, right. Mm -hmm. And continue and continuously pushing. Right. And I think that the other part is where the follower comes back in or or the employee or the other stakeholders. Because you, you mentioned something that one of the things that you said you all do is peers is very important. And we miss that a lot, right? We miss, I think the two areas that I've seen that we tend to miss are managing across and managing upwards. We always hear about yeah. leadership from the standpoint of you have subordinates. Managing the people below you. Exactly. But, exactly. but say a little bit more about how that leadership cycle really is not just about managing you know, subordinate employees, but really a full cycle of, of approach, of an approach. And when I talked about the primary influences, we have a secondary influences also, which includes the peers and the supervisors. No matter where you are in the organization, you have somebody you're reporting to. If you're the board of directors, you're reporting to the shareholders and so forth. If you're a hospital director, you report to the community, basically. So you have to also manage those influences, too. And those are, that's a very important part of the whole process. When you think about when you think about your career as you progressed into really being what I'm not sure if you consider yourself a leadership coach. You sure sound like a leadership coach. <laughs> but one, what would you self-identify as in this space? And two, what would you say um, some of your crowning moments of either individually or like the impact that you've seen that you've made or that your system has made? One of my crowning achievements has been having the my leadership process adopted by the military for new leaders. It's, uh, the program is run by the Navy, by this Navy Foundation, but they get people from all branches of the military come in and take this. So I wrote this about three years ago for them. And I'm not a Navy person, I'm not a military person. So I gave them the framework. When I, read, I looked at the original program. They didn't really have a framework. They were just talking about all the Navy stuff. So you give someone a framework, throw the Navy stuff that, that relates to it underneath it, and they have something they can follow for the rest of their career. And uh, they've been doing that. They do three classes a year of that now. And I did the first year and a half with them. Now they pass on to someone else who does it for me. That's a, yeah, you're very modest because that that's a jump out your chair achievement. That's a big deal. So kudos to you for uh, for achieving that. I'm like, wow, the Navy. Sometimes you're like, well, you know, local Boy Scouts. We were, we're great to have this opportunity. San Diego's a military town. I didn't really know yeah. that when I, before I moved here. You've got yeah, the Navy true. based here. Yeah, Top Gun used to be up here. At Miramar, yeah. not far from where I live, but yeah, the Marines, Camp Pendleton's right by, right nearby, and there's an Air Force base somewhere here too. I can't remember where it, where it is, 
But yeah, I can hear the jets flying over sometimes and watch them. It's pretty cool. That would be very exciting. So I'll be sure to land on your doorstep if I'm ever out there in San Diego. <laughs> I know you mentioned also that you are, you're an adjunct professor. Does the leadership piece play into any of the adjunct teaching that you're doing? It, it does from how, how I lead my classes. I'm actually going back and teaching. We have a, a annual seminar for the students. And it's like the, my leadership topic is one of the topics for, their, for the program in October. So that's always, a, that's always a nice event. And I used to teach in the lead, in the, at Judson a lot of their leadership programs too. The reason I asked that question is that I'm curious to know what you've seen from a from a generational perspective on leadership. Have you seen any similarities, dissimilarities, or anything that really has surprised you, say, in the last five or 10 years? I don't want to talk about any, anyone too much, but the younger generation, they expect a lot. And it's a two-edged sword because they expect a lot from their leaders, which the leaders should be delivering. Sometimes they expect a lot given to them as opposed to earning it. And leadership is not something you walk into, something you got to practice and get good at every day. Yeah. So what would you, what would your advice be to, because I think this is something that is a recurring kind of conversation. Are there leadership tips, cheat codes, hacks, whatever you want to call it, that you think would benefit this, the younger generations, maybe millennial, Gen Z, Gen Alpha? What are some of those things, if any, that they could leverage that balances them out better? I think trying to... Think about leadership as a continuous learning process. One, read books about it. I, I started reading books about leadership when I was just, I was in college. I remember reading Kim Blanchard's book, The One Minute Manager, back in the day. Oh yeah, Kim Blanchard. Yeah, that's right. And you know, he lives not he lives up out here also. So I, I've met him at a couple of conferences. But I started reading it along long along the way when I was younger. Also, finding a good mentor. Coaching and mentoring are two different things. Coaching is more like the short term. Mentoring is looking for your whole long-term career. I found a great mentor when I was just out of graduate school. And I'm still, I still in touch with him today. He was, in, he, I wrote about him in my book, but he's one person who took an interest in me. Yeah, I said, I talked to him once in a while, went out during my career and I tell him what I'm working on. He says, oh, that's a good job, a good idea. Maybe you should try this. He's always giving me good feedback. I could call him up anytime I need, I wanted to talk to him. Yeah. And he, and now that he's retired, he does that to me sometimes. He calls me yeah. and, so, and I stop what yeah. I'm doing to talk yeah. to him. There's you, you called out something that I've not heard many people, if any, frankly, about leadership. And that is a sustained relationship. So people talk about like having a mentor or having a sponsor, mm-hmm. but really making a concerted effort to that sustained relationship is also something that I think is brilliant that you call out that oftentimes, because we've all been necessarily a millennial or Gen Alpha or whatever. Mm-hmm. We have all, we, at some point, we were the younger generation. Right. And I think that knowing what I know now, that is probably one of the most critical things that I would agree with you with is that having the sustained relationship because here's a primary reason for that. So you have someone that has been able to watch your career, watch you develop. So that's one. Two is that they're still in your life, which means that there's some sort of mutual benefit there and someone that can say, hey, I've seen your journey. I've seen the adjustments. They can help you identify whether or not they've been good adjustments or could be better adjustments. So I think that's I think that's a huge one that I think will really help people and hopefully speak to them. So I appreciate it. One, one other thing I want to add is you find that mentor early in your career, because if you wait till you get later in the career, like your right. director, vice president level, you won't find anybody who's going right. to be able to lend value to you. You have to find them early on so they can walk with you throughout your whole career and know you, like you said. And be able to give comments in context. Any suggestions or thoughts around when you have, because I had this conversation today too as well, 
around having someone that is a manager or leader that is not necessarily a good manager or leader, what do you do? You have a couple of choices when you can write it out because it depends on the person could have a relationship with someone there. And that's why they're, that's why they're in a leadership position. You don't know how, why they were promoted or they could have been really good at a lower function. When I talk about the functional leader. I talk about the person who was a good salesperson or a good marketing person, but really bad at managing people. Sure. And so you have to decide, do you want to stay there or stick it out? Yeah. One of the things that I learned when I was working on a project for Microsoft, they asked me to come in and build their first global analytics department. And they ended up talking about the career paths and their job description and so forth. One of the things that was important to them was to make sure that they had multiple career paths because not everyone wants to become a manager and wants to manage people, but they, are, they could be valuable workers. I just wanted to remind about that earlier today. They're going to be valuable workers. You know, so you have a, somebody who's a good programmer who just wants to be a programmer. They want to be bothered with trying to manage and do feedback and all this kind of, kind of stuff. Yeah. So you have to recognize that too and give them enriching work to do. I love the way you answered that question because I think it also offers a solution to players or organizations where this can potentially happen, where you have the Peter principle, where your people are getting promoted because they are subject matter experts and they keep getting promoted, but not necessarily the best leader to, to, to your point. So I think right. that's a great acknowledgement as well, that this is what organizations can do. And I think the other part that you mentioned was basically stick it out if that's what you feel like you can do, or it may be time to frankly part ways. And right. I've heard people dance around this. And I think that it's to say it's time consuming to think that sometimes the reality is that we may not be able to wait it out or it's it's advantageous for us to make that decision to go somewhere else or do something different mm -hmm. and to look at it as just it being that. So I spend a lot of time with people, with clients around, stop trying to put the label on whether or not it's good or bad. Sometimes it's a decision that needs to be made and it's not a question of good or bad. It's a question of whether or not it, it's better aligned with what it is that you want to accomplish. And then so it takes away some of the baggage around, oh, I probably am leaving because I can't handle it. When it's really, but why would you want to? It's not benefiting you. And in that, when you're talking about having an advocate or having a sponsor, it's great if you can get that out of someone that you're working already closely with that knows how you perform exactly. and sees you in a light of performance, but also sees you in a light of leadership. And to your point, but they may also help you to identify that maybe individual con individual contributor or a consultant may be the better space for you. And that's perfectly fine. It's still, it still allows you to lead based on what you're describing because there's still projects that you may work on. There's other people you may take under wing and help have to coach, train, and develop them. So it's still are these multifaceted ways that, that you can look at leadership. So I appreciate, again, some perspective on this because I'm really, I'm learning, which I always feel like I'm hoping that folks can download these episodes because this is one where I think everyone can benefit from learning a little bit more about, even if it's one thing about leadership, because Leadership to me is like sales. You're either selling or you're being sold. Leadership mm -hmm. is you're leading or you're being led. And so it's important in both those instances to be you know, as to be a more effective leader. So I look at it this way. So even a CEO, right, has to report to a governing board body, right? Yeah, That's board right. of directors. Yep. That's right. And, and at the end of the day, they're looking at like their bosses, air quotes again, are the consumers, mm -hmm. not the consumers, but I'm sorry, the, the shareholders. Shareholders. Yeah. Oh. So it ultimately is the consumers though, too, because if not selling anything, you're not in, the, you're not in business anymore. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's definitely true. What would be the three things that you would say you would want them to really take away from our show today? But one is that leadership is a process. It's not a skill. If you focus on skills, you're going to, people get satisfied learning some skills and then they, and they don't do anything with them. You have to have a practice and improvement process to become a better leader. And that too, and that leads to the second one, which is you have to practice it. 
every day. It's not something you can take a day off or I say, oh, I'm not gonna leave today. I'm just gonna go into the office and sit around and play, play games on my computer. No, you have to practice it every day, okay? And the thing about the innate qualities of leadership, I think leadership is a lot like dancing. Some people are better at it than others, but everyone can improve with more learning, with practice. And so people who are innate, can, they can learn more and get better at it. People who aren't as, as innate, they can learn more too, become better. And you can't measure it. You can't yet have a quantifiable way of measuring. That's, that's a tool that we're using to help people understand where they are, where the gaps are, so they can get better at it. And Brian, I know you talked about the tools a little bit. So this segues to our probably our most important point of the show is that. So where can people find you and connect with you? And where can they find your book? or books. The best place to, to look for, tell you a little bit more about our leadership process and about the our assessment tools. I think that's a very important thing. That's the thing that we're really focusing on right now is go to leadershipanalytics247.com. That's All our right. Say, and, say, and say that again for us. Leadershipanalytics247.com. So and they can find you, they can find you there as well. And that goes to our, that web, that goes to our main website. And you can find everything right there. For those of you that are LinkedIn nerds, he is also on LinkedIn because that's where I found him and saw this amazing background this gentleman had. And he knows that I'm going to make the connection as soon as we get off the air. I'm going to connect. (laughs) For everyone that has joined us, Brian, thank you again for being a part of the show. I hope that our audience will benefit from these leadership tips and the tools that they're going to go out and take a look at and connect with you. We appreciate you for joining Cascade Leadership, the show. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cascading Leadership. We hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did. Make sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, reach out to me at jim at cascadingleadership.com. Tune in next time for another great episode that will help you move your career further faster.